Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Sicari. Good morning. We are two days away from Thanksgiving here in the United States, and my wish to all of you is that you have a happy and a safe Thanksgiving. I understand there's going to be a number of storms coming through the United States, so please be careful. My name is Frank Sicari, and you're listening to Life Altering Events on the VoiceAmerica.com Empowerment Channel. Now, since we started this show in late July, people have often asked me, Frank, what exactly is a life-altering event? And this is what I tell them. A life-altering event is something we can either choose or something that is thrust upon us that dramatically alters the trajectory of our life. Now, what's that mean? Now, every one of us has had these aha moments in our life that have changed your life for better or for worse. Now, these life-altering events occur in every aspect of our professional and our personal life and in the lives of our family. Now, try as we may, it is impossible to completely separate the events of our personal life from the events in our professional life. Believe me, ladies and gentlemen, I tried to do that for years, and I failed miserably. Life-altering events do present us with, however, is an opportunity to seize the moment and make a difference in our own life and the lives of our loved one. They are a fork in the road, and we have a choice. We can choose to fall apart, or we can find the courage to choose to pick up the pieces, deal with our grief, and start moving forward toward better times and better people. Always remember this. It is never too late to have the life that you want and you deserve. Now, as you listen to this show over the coming weeks and months and hopefully years, I urge you to participate in an upcoming show. If you have a life-altering event that can inspire others, visit the life-altering event page on voiceamerica.com, click on email the host, and tell me about this event that changed your life so drastically. How did you address it? where are you now, and how it impacted your life. We'll review the content, and if it fits well into the program, we'll contact you about using it in a future broadcast. Now, this show has recently been renewed for another 52 weeks, so thank you to our 16,000 listeners in 13 countries for your support. Now more than ever, however, I need to hear from you. Let me share your story with the world. Well, today, our life-altering event is the evolution of something called a servant leadership. Now, what's this mean? And why should you care? And how can we incorporate this model into everyday life? Now, there's something about servant leadership. Is, is this a term? It's is getting an, an awful lot of play in the press the last few years. Is it the latest trendy fad that's going to fizzle out quickly? Or... Is it the term that someone is using to sell more books? We've all seen the signs posted around offices whose intents are to inspire us. But do they actually inspire you? You've seen the signs. Together, everybody accomplishes more. Great things never come from comfort zones. Teamwork makes the dream work. We've heard all these phrases. We've seen them on walls. They're catchy phrases, but they mean nothing if these words are not practiced, taught, and constantly reinforced. Effective teamwork requires a deep understanding of human behavior and disciplined approach to execution. Without the execution, these phrases become a punchline that are used at the water cooler and in the after-work gatherings in the bars. I was working with one group manager, and he said to me, he says, Frank, There are so many leadership models out there already. Is there really a need for another new one? So I told him, let's look at the data. 1998, 21 years ago, the Center for Creative Leadership concluded that 40% of new management hires fail within the first 18 months. 
Let me repeat that. 40% of new management fail within the first 18 months. 82% of the time, the reason was a failure to build good relationships. As recently as 2016, they, con they conclude, they came up with the same results, the same conclusions. So in 21 years, we haven't made a lot, of, a lot of progress here. So yes, there is a need for not just a new, but a more effective model. Now, when I first started reading about servant leadership, I wanted to know what organizations actually practice this servant leadership. Not just pay lip service to it, but actually implement servant leadership over a sustained period of time. Now, one that might shock you or surprise you is the United States Army. Now, before those of you who serve say, no way, Frank, I was in the military. It's an authoritarian model. Military leaders are not servant leaders. Well, my next guest will explain what servant leadership is, why it works in the military, and why it works in the business world. Tom Crea is my next guest, and Tom is a retired Army colonel. He flew and was a commander of the Black Hawk Helicopter Squadron. He spent his military career developing leaders, and since his discharge, he continues to help organizations develop leaders. His company, Blackhawk Leader Development, provides training and workshops designed to help organizations create servant leadership models. He's the author of Unleash Your Values, and he has his own show on voiceamerica.com called Your Evolving Leadership Journey. He's also my cousin, so don't <laughs> hold that against him. Tom, welcome to Life Altering Events. Hey, Frank, cuz, thanks for having me. <laughs> Now, Tom is an absolute expert in this area. Tom, before we get into the servant leadership, tell the listeners a little bit about your distinguished military career. Yeah, you used the word distinguished, and I feel like I have an echo or vibration here. Um, if I do, let me know. So anyway, um, you say distinguished, and I and we're, since we're talking about le servant leadership, let me just start with three things, just three things that the Army taught us that I thought were extremely critical, and that's self-awareness, humility, humility, and continuous learning. And I'd like to take you back to where I started, but in reverse order. So if we talk about continuous learning, which is what I'm doing today, and like you said, your evolving leadership journey – com is a website where you can look at all the episodes that I've done and will continue to do. And, and I typically book authors and, and I end up reading a book a week. So continuously, continuous learning is something that has just stuck with me and I continue to apply in my daily life. And then there's lessons in humility. You know, one thing you said in my, my intro that I was a colonel and well, I'm not really a colonel or didn't retire as a colonel. I was a lieutenant colonel and I didn't command a squadron. I commanded a troop. Now, you know, you might think that's trivial, but for people who are cut out of the same cloth as I am, you, you don't want to take credit for something you didn't earn. And um, and also that, that issue of humility where you're talking about uh, some people are surprised by it. Well, guess what? You know, the Army has an acronym for its leadership values and, and, and it's L-D-R-S-H-I-P. And um, the S stands for selfless service, which is why it's so um, tied into servant leadership. And so let's get into, you know, when I started my career in the military, I started off really, really well at the infantry course. I started in the top third and I could do something and I make a mistake and I could bounce to the middle third and eventually end up in the bottom third. Then I go on to flight school to learn how to fly helicopters and I get humbled even more because I can't navigate. Now that's a core competency. Now think about that. In whatever business you are, if you can't do your core competency, you, you feel like you're under the gun. So the third point is self-awareness. And perhaps that was the most important lesson that I learned. And it's something about, you know, knowing who you are and being authentic and true to who you are. So in my military uh, career, uh, I obviously, like all of you, you face leadership cha challenges. And my first uh, important lesson was learning to empower, then to delegate. And then after I had developed those skills a couple years later, I find myself in this muddy cornfield where I'm having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with one of my junior officers. And I discover at that moment in time that I actually enjoy developing leadership in others more than I did flying helicopters. And it's not something I would have ever imagined possible. Fast forward to the end of my career, I'm running an ROTC program in Boston, and that's all about leadership development where we transform college students into combat officers. So I'm proud to have been a member of the military, and I honestly believe that I'm a product of the best 
leadership development culture in the world. And that's why I do what I do today. I want to share that passion with others because that's where my heart is. Now, Tom, you spent almost your entire adult life teaching and promoting this servant leadership even before we heard the term servant leadership. So how do you define it and why is it different? It's interesting. We didn't really have a definition, I don't believe, and I didn't learn this definition until after I got out of the military. I retired in 2003. But in 1970, a gentleman named Robert Greenleaf wrote an essay on servant leadership, and he asked the three questions, which he calls his best test. And those three questions are, do those serve grow as persons. And I'd like to think that I, when developing others, I was working on that. Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely themselves to become servants? And the final question is, what is the effect on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit or at least not be further deprived? That's the best definition I have ever seen. Now, you trained hundreds, hundreds of army officers in, in, uh, in the field and then in the ROTC. What traits do you look for? What, may, what traits make a good servant leader? Okay. Well, again, I'm going to go back to Robert Greenleaf and the Greenleaf Institute. Um, matter of fact, I have a LinkedIn group uh, on uh, a group on LinkedIn, and it's called Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Go figure, same name. And uh, so if you want to join, if you're listening, I'd love to have you there. At any rate, the, the what you would see is an inverse pyramid of those leadership traits as the pitcher that welcomes people into that group. And that pyramid has the traits, again, that come from the Greenleaf Institute. And they are, and I have the inverse pyramid going this way. Bottom is the self-awareness, and then they have healing and persuasion immediately as the fundamental building blocks. And if you wonder what healing means, I would just use the word humility. And then as you go off on the left side, there's listening and empathy. And on the right side, there's stewardship, which I equate to uh, responsibility and accountability and developing others. And then finally, you know, it's all supposed to be leading towards building a community. You know, why do people join an organization building that community? And the final two are foresight and conceptualization. Now, when you were training these, particularly the ROTC people, and they're coming in, they're 18, 19 years old, and they're going to college. How did you see them as potential candidates? What did you, were you able to see these characteristics in them when you were screening them, or did, did it evolve at once they got into the program? That's an interesting question. You know, when I first started my first year, I thought I, I knew what it took, and I could determine who was going to make it and who wasn't. And uh, it's interesting. It's uh, it's the whole human dynamic. Different people, um, they'll surprise you, and... They'll, um, so for example, there, there were cadets who came in and, uh, when they entered the program and in one case, I'll just give a specific example. I thought this individual just wasn't going to make it because guess what? In the military, you have to be physically fit. And if you can't be fit, you can't be in front and you can't lead. Well, this particular person had the heart of a lion. And so from the beginning of the first semester, that one September, August, September, till the end of the semester, I noticed that he was getting in shape and just doing better and better and better. And by the end of that calendar year, um, he he just totally reversed my perception of it. And so I I just think it has everything to do with attitude. Um, Matter of fact, I want to share this with you, attitude. So they did a study of a bunch of CEOs uh, about 15, 20 years ago, and they asked them, what was the one thing that... um, uh, you would attribute as the most that you would give the most credit to your career and they gave the options of attitude skills and knowledge and only 15% of them chose skills and knowledge and 85% of them chose attitude and if we break down attitude attitude is a um, the components that go into your attitude are your values and your beliefs. Beliefs, those things that you hold to be true. Values, your deepest held beliefs. And so when you come into a place with that type of conviction and you well, – and it doesn't have to be the Army. And that's one of the things that I share today. It's like if your values are aligned with the organization you join, you're going to be so much more effective because you're aligned and you've got the right spirit. Now, I was reading um, Simon Sinek's new book, The Infinite Game, and in there he talks about an example that when he worked with the Navy SEALs, 
And what he said, he had a he had a uh, a chart on the two axes. One and one was uh, competence in your job, and then the bottom axis was trust. And what he found in re- I don't know how many seals that he interviewed and talked with was they were most comfortable with someone. The, the ideal person, let me back up. The ideal person is high competency, high trust, ideal. Very few of those around. And he said, if they can't get that, then they're more they're more willing to take pretty good competency, but a high degree of trust. Okay? You commanded a Black Hawk troop. How does that fit? Well, I saw that video, and uh, I love Simon Sinek, and I love him for a number of reasons, but what I really like about him is that he gets a lot of his great examples from the military. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. Well, so how does it fit with trust? Well, just think about it. I think trust is a basic component of any relationship, and if you don't trust the leader, you're not going to want to work for him. And so, whether and a lot of people have this misperception in the, that the military, you know, you have to just follow the orders. So that's not true. That I work for the first day, um, but it doesn't work indefinitely. You have to build trust, and it's all about building relationships and building trust. So, I absolutely agree with him. He's just got a great way of presenting information, and, and I love his content. Yeah, he uh, he makes uh, very complex points, very very simple. Right now, we are coming in close to a break here. I don't want to get into this next section, so we're going to take a break right now. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Tom Crea, and we're talking about servant leadership and how it can impact your life. Stay with. Us. what makes the most successful people tick keep listening to the voice america empowerment channel VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. book frank zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event frank is a dynamic entertaining and fascinating storyteller your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately email frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. We're back. Welcome back. We are having a great conversation here with Tom Creo who was a, is a retired lieutenant colonel, as he corrected me here, and he was a pilot with the, the Black Hawk, the, the uh, helicopter that everyone has seen movies about and read about and is very familiar with. Uh, Tom, when we ended this uh, 
first segment, we were talking about the training that you did for a number of ROTC uh, students and, and how you determined whether or not they they had the skill set to be to have that servant leadership. Now you wrote in your book, the Unleash Your Values, which I highly recommend to everyone. Go get that book. You wrote in that book, leadership starts with trust and commitment to values. All right. You talked a little bit about this before the break. Let's expand on that. All right. Well, when you uh, you had asked me to talk about that, you also said you love the quote from John Stewart where it says, "If you don't stick to your values." when they're being tested, then they're not values, they're hobbies. And I actually got that quote from my wife because they just had never come across it before. But let's get back to how you opened the show where you talked about life-altering events and how opportunity, this is your opportunity to seize the moment. It could be a fork in the road when you have a choice and these things are thrust upon you and it dramatically alters the trajectory of your life. Well, since I'm a speaker, I want to tell you a story my fork in the road experience, and I call it the Sergeant X story. So as I said, I had some humbling experiences before I got started. And and when I finally go to my first assignment, I want you to imagine, you the listener, that you're 23 years old, you're just starting your career, whatever it might be. So my first assignment is an all expenses paid trip to the Republic of Korea. And I start my career flying the older Vietnam era Huey helicopter. And needless to say, I'm disappointed. The first time I fly, I fail at navigation yet again. Core competency, right? I need practice, but with so many new new aviators like me, there's a lot of competition for flight time. Now, I have a problem because I get to fly along the border with North Korea. Did you know that prior to the 2018 Winter Olympics, one of the charter planes landed in Pyongyang, North Korea, instead of Pyeongchang, South Korea? Pilots and passengers, they were held briefly. Had I made that mistake, just think about that. So my first job is to serve as a platoon leader. I have an instructor pilot, a warrant officer, and a platoon sergeant, a non-commissioned officer. And both of these gentlemen have 10 or more years of experience. My experience, 13 months as a student. So October 1984, K-16 Air Base. It seems like forever, but I finally get on the flight schedule again. It's dawn, a crisp fall morning, clear skies. I'm excited to fly. I finish my pre-flight. Upon my return, Mr. Welda, my instructor pilot, intercepts me. Sir, I smell alcohol in Sardinex. Now, this violates our 12-hour bottle-to-throttle rule, which is no alcohol or any residual effects for at least 12 hours prior to working with the aircraft. I have a problem. Sergeant X works for me, but I have no clue what to do. And Mr. Welda knows it. Sir, you need to take Sergeant X in for a drug and alcohol test. Hmm. He lives off base. What about his wife, his family, his career? Sir, you really need to take him in. Now, I'm 23. It's a Saturday morning, and all I wanted to do was fly. I approach Sardinex. Yep, he sure smells like alcohol. I find myself taking him to the nearest medical facility, the Army Hospital, 12 miles away. No sooner than we get on the Seoul Pusan Highway, our MASH-era Army Jeep breaks down. Now, secretly, I hope the delay might help my sergeant test negative. But I can't share that. A radio for help. Now... Two older soldiers and me on the side of the road. Do you feel my pain? An hour later, we're on the way. He takes his test. We return. I spend the rest of the weekend wondering, what will my boss think? What about Sergeant Watson? What about the rest of the unit? Did I do the right thing? Monday morning, I report to my commander. Knees shaking. I explain what happened. I'll never forget Major Vivolo's response. Tom, I'm just tickled pink you had the gumption to take him in. Hmm, maybe I did do the right thing. Now, despite the fact that he reports to me, I'm more concerned about what Sergeant Watson thinks. He's the one training me, teaching me the ropes. We go behind closed doors. Sir, I didn't like what you did on Saturday, but you did the right thing, and I'm going to support you. Whew, 
What a relief. So you can imagine what I learned about myself throughout that experience. Self-awareness, right? Wherever you are, whatever you do, it's so critical. So let's get back to one lesson I learned. Trust, right? So I had to give place trust in Mr. Welda, right, before I can earn trust back. And that's one thing that I, I would want to share, if anything, to all the leaders or not leaders or anybody who just wants to lead their personal lives. You don't have to be a leader uh, in the formal sense. But in order to get trust, you have to give trust. And this is especially true if you're in a formal position. Brene Brown, who is an author we both uh, have a high deal of respect for, she made a, s- a statement in her book, Dare to Lead, that's what I want to elaborate on what Tom just said here. Brene Brown's statement was, if you're not going to take the time to translate values from ideals to behavior, if you're not going to teach people the skills they need to show up in a way that's aligned with those values, and then create a culture in which you hold one another accountable for staying aligned with the values, it's better not to profess any values at all. It becomes a joke. It's total BS. That's from Brene Brown. Expand on that, Tom. Well, let's talk about why servant leadership is important in a culture, in a military culture. And, and I, again, I would like to share a story with you because what she said is absolutely right. If you can't do that, then people, they just don't know where you're going. They don't, they're not going to be able to follow your vision. So let me share with you another story to hopefully uh, solidify this point. I want you to think back. May 1st, 2011, two Black Hawk helicopters take off from a remote location. When they arrive at the compound, the first helicopter crashes. You know what I'm talking about, the raid for Osama bin Laden. Now, despite the crash, the Navy SEALs are still successful. Well, why? Well, Most of the people are aware that 24 SEALs conducted the raid, but what if I told you that there were 79 people involved and a dog? Forget about the dog. Who were the other 55? How do people from three different cultures unite for such a complex operation? Well, it's because we all share the same values, not exactly the same between the Army, the Air Force, the the Marine Corps, and the Navy, but they're very similar. And that's how we are able to do that. And the, and the underlying uh, value, if you will, is, again, I go back to trust. In your book, um, you talk about, you just spent a great deal of time on this trust. And why is servant leadership so important outside of the military? You gave them some tremendous examples of why it's so important inside the military, because if you don't do somebody's doesn't do the right thing, someone's going to die. Now, in the, in, the, in, the, in the business sector, not too many people die. So how does this apply? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm working with a, a gentleman. Matter of fact, in my show, I inter- interviewed him yesterday, and he has an organization um, called CEO Experience. And it's a very, it's like a Vistage Run uh, roundtable for, for leaders. And so it does apply, and it's very much um, for faith-based leaders and Christian leaders, any faith-based leader. But but let me share a quote from you from a guest I had in September. His name is Charles Coetzer, and he wrote a book called Leading Business Beyond Profit. Um, I believe it was a September 26th or what it was a September airing. And anyway, here's a quote from his book. Companies that did business from a foundation of love and purpose – and practice servant leadership produced a, a 1,026% return to shareholders over a 10-year period, eight times more than good to great companies. Now, I'm sure many people are aware of um, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great Companies, and, and many of those companies that he wrote about in that book <laughs> no longer are as successful as they once were. But when people don't believe in servant leadership, I would ask them this, this question. Are you in it for the short term or the long term? And as Coetzer points out in his book, those people who practice servant leadership, 10,026% return to shareholders. I don't know how you beat that, but if you can, I'm all ears. What is the role of uh, feedback in, in a servant leadership model? 
Well, there's another interesting question. And, and I go back to uh, one of the first questions you asked me about continuous learning. Now, I wrote in my book, and I hear I believe one of the best experiences I ever had in the military was the learning something called the after-action review. So let me explain what that is and how that's different what most people are familiar with, which might be an after-action report. An after-action report is where at the end of some event, everybody writes their um, assessment of what happened, and they submit it up the chain, and somebody takes it and punches holes in it and gets put in some three-ring binder uh, metaphorically and put on some shelf somewhere. And they don't ever hear about feedback on their input. Now, what we did in the Army, and they instituted this, matter of fact, the, the decade, <laughs> shows you my age, that um, that I entered the Army, which is in the 1980s. So, I got to have experiences throughout my entire career, and, I, and I'm a big believer in this as well. Um, so, an after-action review is, is at the end of any major exercise or any exercise, we would actually have time scheduled to go in, and everybody would huddle around in a field of Uh, scenario, if you will, it would be inside of a tent. And once you walked in that tent, though, you took your rank off. So if you were a colonel, it didn't matter. If you were a private, it didn't matter. Um, You went into the tent, and if you had a comment about, now here we get into another Army acronym, ROE, Rules of Engagement. The rules of engagement is when I enter that tent, I'm going to go in there and I'm able to say whatever it is that I feel is going to be uh, constructive regarding the performance that we just did, that anybody did at the point. But we don't attack the individual. We attack the action because um, the goal is to leave that tent. And the next time we go out and do another exercise is to do it more effectively. So, you know, it was just a huge um, win. And he, the reason why it was a big win is because it gave everybody the opportunity to feel like they can contribute and share how they felt something went, whether it was good, bad or otherwise. And, and so, again, as much as I'm a believer in servant leader, excuse me, in feedback and the after action review, I had a guest in October and her name is Carol Sanford and she wrote a book called No More Feedback. And, and I, I read it with some peak curiosity. It's like, yeah, I don't believe this. And, and I read her book and I started to, to understand where she was coming from. And she had a lot of good input on why feedback can be negative and it's mostly the way it's delivered and I would argue that the way we did it in the military um, fits most of her definition. Um, She didn't quite agree with me totally but that's okay. Uh, The point is is that when you go into whatever it is, go in with an open mind and and be receptive to what other people have to say about um, the idea that you're being challenged on. I had an opportunity after uh, I was out of the military and working in the high-tech sector, and it was in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, and they were doing a tank exercise. And after the exercise, they had this action after action review, which I had never been part of, so I was fortunate enough that I could sit in on it. And as Tom mentioned, it was truly amazing because you say, you leave your rank at the door, right? Very few people actually believe that. I was in the room and I saw a colonel who had made a mistake and it was pointed out to him that he made a mistake here, that that was the wrong choice given the situation and where they were at that moment in time. But again, it was not attacking, as Tom mentioned. It was, what did you see? When did you see it? Why did you make that choice? Did you consider the other, the other uh, potential opportunities? And now in that situation, I'm sitting there thinking, well, you don't have a whole lot of time. And after it was over, the uh, colonel who was in charge told me, that's why we do this, because you don't have time. You don't Mm -hmm. have time to think and let's go through. So you need to know what the alternatives and the options are going in. So when you see that, you can make that that decision. And it was not in any way, shape, or form an assault. Now, I've been in the corporate world for decades, decades and decades, and there's always that in, do you see this, Tom, when you're doing your your workshops, there's this fear to bring up something that is different than what the leader or vice president or CEO happens to say or believe. Is that something you've experienced? Well, let, let me first comment on one of the things you said, and that is the... It circles back to that colonel when he was able to take those uh, that criticism. Um, 
that all has to do with being humble and knowing that you don't have all the answers. And I think that just such a critical thing for everybody, whether you're, again, a formal or informal leadership position, to know that you're not perfect and we're not. No, nobody's perfect. And and that goes back to the what I consider the, the most basic of building blocks is, and that is self-awareness. Now, your question again was, do I see what in the corporate world? I'm sorry. When you're in the corporate world, when you're doing these workshops with corporate people, and they're trying to have a meeting or they're trying to do – a lot of corporates call it a postmortem, which I think right. is a horrible term, right? So they're doing their after-action review, okay? And the leader or the ranking person says whatever it is that they say, and then everybody just nods their head and does not engage or is basically a, a tacit approval to whatever is being said as opposed to having a dialogue about – what else could have been done? Now, when you're in your workshops, when you see that, what do you say to people? Okay, so most of my workshops are usually for developing people from different organizations, and, and I don't get to experience that off. So I'll have to really go back to an example where, yeah, when you see that, you see people who are not, they don't feel comfortable with sharing those insights. And here's the problem with that. If you don't create that learning environment for your team and you, they don't feel like you're going to be, they're going to be able to share what's on their mind. Well, guess what? You're only as good as the input you get. And and if people are afraid to give the input, then they're, you're just not going to be able to grow and do it better the next time. So, yeah, when, when I do see something like that, then later on I have to pull the leader aside and, and have this conversation with them about exactly that. One of the things that I uh, often said in, in my uh, corporate life was, uh, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, we got a big problem here. You cannot be the smartest guy in the room. The people in their area of responsibility have to be better than you are. We're up against another break here. Um, stay with us. we got one more segment to go, and it is going to be the most interesting one yet. We'll be back in two minutes. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life-Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We are listening to Life Altering Events with my guest, Tom Crea. And Tom is an expert in the area of 
servant leadership. He is retired Army Lieutenant Colonel. He was a commander with the Black Hawk helicopter, and now he is a consultant speaker bringing this servant leadership model that he learned so well in the military and that works so well in the military into the corporate sector. Now, one of the things that Tom mentioned just before the break is the statements that I hear all the time as I'm working with organizations, which is, Frank, you know, these these theories are great, but they take time to put this stuff in place. And I don't have time. I got to get results now. And Tom elaborated that one of his guests was on the show who said that the people who follow a servant leadership model don't necessarily worry. They, they have to worry about the short term, but their focus is on the long term. And that people who implemented service leadership were 1,026% higher return on investment than the good to great companies that Jim Collins wrote about in his book. Now, it's very interesting. Another point that Tom made was many of the companies that were in the book good to great are not so great anymore. They did not make it. They did not survive. There was too much of a focus on the short term. And he also wrote another book called How the Mighty Have Fallen, which goes into a number of those companies who were good to great, who didn't make the necessary decisions, were too concerned about the short term, the quarterly results, and not focused on where they needed to be going to. So I get you all up to speed here. Now, Tom, I have heard people in, in servant leadership organizations tend to hold each other accountable. So what does that accountability mean and what's your experience in this area? Yeah, absolutely. And like I said in the um, the Bin Laden example where that raid happened and the first helicopter crashes, you know, that thing, all that happens because people have a, they trust each other and they share a common set of values. Let me ask you, Frank, a quick question. Why do you think people join organizations? There's a couple of reasons that people in the, in the business sector do. One is, is money, and the other one is they feel a sense of community If once you get past the money issue. Exactly. So, so in, and ideally, go for the community first because if you're, you're, if you're in an organization, whether you join, say, Boy Scouts or whatever it might be, you're joining because you share a common sense of values and you want to be around like-minded people. And, you know, when like-minded people get together and they're, and they're really doing their best and they're supporting each other, then great things happen. And that's what, what with the, one of those, uh, you asked me about the servant leader traits, building community is one of them. So, you know, I want to close that story I told you about Sard X, where, you know, when those three different career professionals, a commission officer, a warrant officer, and a non-commission officer, essentially all of them told me if I wanted to be in their army, I had to live their values. You know, when I deliver this uh, in person, I have this slide that comes up next. And I said, would you look at that? The Army has an acronym for its values, too. L-D-R-S-H-I-P. Loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and per- personal courage. And then I go on to share and say, look, it's, it's to be clear, I'm not suggesting that these values or the Army's values or my values should be your values. I, I tell the audience, whatever culture you signed up for, live those values. And again, which is why when I wrote my book, Unleash Your Values, I'm suggesting to the reader that whatever those values are, follow them. Be true to your heart, and that's where you're going to be most effective and most impactful. One thing I've heard in a, in a workshop I was doing, Tom, is when the term accountability came up and someone said, well, accountability is another term to, to place blame. All right. How do you answer that one? How do I answer that? So, I mean, the Army had this axiom. It was a great axiom, and I'll never, ever forget it. And, I, and again, I, I speak to it. You can delegate authority, but you can never, and I add these words, never, ever, ever delegate responsibility. So, as the leader, you're always accountable. And when you're delegating authority to somebody else, you're still accountable. But your job is is to be able to develop and grow that person so that they can take stuff and run on their own and free you up to do more important things, which is what every leader should be doing, is looking externally and allow, and allow the, uh, the p- people who are all very capable within the organization to do great things and let the organization excel. I remember uh, a quote from Steve Jobs, and one of the things that he had said, and I'm going to paraphrase this because I don't have the quote in front of me, was, why would I go hire highly qualified, competent people 
and then tell them how to do their job. I tell them what we need done and then let them go do it. Exactly. You know, and Frank, I got to tell you, um, a very formative author. Matter of fact, I'm going to share. Let's get back to the servant leadership because I want to, and it's my passion. And and you're and I'm your guest. So, um, you know, if you look back, and you know, even servant leadership isn't new. If you think back 2,000 years ago, there was a person, a man named Christ, who walked the earth and taught people that. Oh, guess what? He uh, he uh, he learned to delegate, and he had 12 apostles, and and his churches continued for couple millennia. So, now how does that happen? Well, you know, it happens because of things like that. Now, where I wanted to go with this is these there are a bunch of authors out there, and off the top of my head, the ones that were very formative in my early reading were uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Then there's Norman Vincent Peale, uh, The Power of Positive Thinking. And then it was Ken Blanchard's One Minute Manager, and that's where I want to pause. You know, I'm in the 1980s, I'm reading his books, and I'm thinking, wow, this is just great content. It really taught me how I should interact with the people on my team, treat them with dignity and respect, help them learn and grow. You know, everyone wants to feel like their contributions matter. And so you got to make everybody feel like they're part of a winning team. And then when you do all those things, you can achieve great things. And so if you're not familiar as, as a listener and you're inter- interested in leadership, I highly recommend Blanchard's book, The One Minute Manager, and the follow-on book, The Leadership and the One Minute Manager, where he goes into his situational leadership model, which takes you from um, first you're very directing to a new employee, then you're you're coaching them, and then you're supportive, and then you can finally delegate. But you have to take them through that journey, and you have to help them grow. And and that's what to me what servant leadership is about. And Blanchard's a a, a proponent of that. And again, a lot of great authors. Um, they may not uh, explicitly express these values, um, but they're there. Stephen Covey's another example. One of the points again from your from your book is. Uh to elaborate on what you just said there, you have to let others see you serve and encourage them to join you. You have to make sure they, you, that they know that you care, and then you have to invest in them to make sure that they're in the best position to succeed. This complements what you just said. Now, Tom, before we run out of time here, most of us in the world here have seen the movie Black Hawk Down or have read about Black Hawk missions or heard the Osama bin Laden story. What every listener that I have is dying to know is what's it like to actually fly the Black Hawk? Well, Frank, you know, I got to tell you, every time somebody brings up that movie Black Hawk Down, it's like a dagger in my heart because no Black Hawk pilot wants to hear about a Black Hawk crashing. At any rate, I digress. So let me answer your question. Um, you know, I just, it was a thrill to be in that, that that bird, we called them, and especially when we were flying at night and under night vision goggles. But, but here's the experience that I would relate that anybody could experience what I experienced. You know how when you go to an, uh, a theme park, amusement park, and you have the, the old-fashioned roller coasters where it's like on a train track, uh, the four wheels on a rail. Well, that's one version of a roller coaster. And the other version that came out with, you know, it's been quite a while since I've been to one. But but you know the ones that, that swing from a pendulum on the top? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, yeah, yes. Okay. So so if you're if you're in one of those roller coasters and, and I think it's at the the one in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia I went to. It's called the what's called the Big Bad Wolf. And you're swinging from the top like on a pendulum, just like a helicopter. And guess what? It sways from the left to the right and up and down and it moves in three dimensions. And I got to tell you, outside of being in the actual aircraft, that is the closest thing I've ever come to having that exhilarating experience that I enjoyed so much. As much as you can without violating any kind of uh, confidentialities, when we see the Black Hawk, we, the lay people, it almost looks like you're uh, a video game in front of you. Is that the case? Or is that just Hollywood? Wow, yeah, I would say it's Hollywood. A video game? No, I mean, that flying the Black Hawk is... Flying any helicopter, learning to fly is a challenge. And, you know, I'll just give you a quick story here. Is when I first learned to fly, and they took us to a stage field just to learn to hover. And you would see these people. Uh, you can go look at people learning to hover. Go check out a video, and you see them. They're going swaying from the left and right and up and down, and they just can't keep it in one place. Uh, and then finally, when you get that, that, that feeling where you don't move the, the cyclic or the stick around too much, um, you finally learn to calm down. It's like anything else. When you finally get good at something or you, you can relax at it, 
uh, it takes away so much of the stress. But no, I, I don't. I can't relate to what you said. That. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen, uh, heard people say, "Well, it's easy to fly that. It's like playing a video game. You got the screen in front of you, and you do all." And I said, "Yeah, hold on. I, I know a pilot, and I think he would vehemently disagree with you." I'll tell you so, what. I, I know you're running out of time, but I'll tell you. Anybody who thinks it's easy, go take one of those remote-controlled uh, uh, helicopters. See if you can fly it, and then then come back and tell Frank that. Well, this has been a real interesting show. Tom, any final words? Of no, I, I really appreciate the, the opportunity to talk about servant leadership, my passion. And, and as I'm learning in, in my journey is uh, I'm moving to something called steward leadership. Uh, I would love for you, if you're interested in anything about leadership, to follow me at yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com. And thanks for the opportunity. And I'll leave it to you. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Tom. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're almost out of time. I want to thank my guest and my cousin, Tom. Korea for sharing this, this incredibly inspirational life-altering event story, his time in the military, and how he's translated that time in the military into the business world and the values that he's bringing and the values that he's lived with his entire life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what life throws at you, I want you to do three things. I want you to get up, look up, and never, ever give up. Pick up the pieces and start moving forward. Better times and better people will enter your life. Now, if you want more information about Tom and what he has going, you can email me at the Life Altering Event page. Press email the host, and I'll make sure that it gets to him. You can also listen to any, if you've missed any of this show or any of our other episodes, you can now listen to them on demand on a number of different places, including iHeartRadio and now Alexa, which has picked up the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let me leave you with this. None of us are in this alone. You heard many, many examples from Tom Crea on servant leadership, and we absolutely are not in this alone. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. I think Tom gave us a number of places, showed you where those rocks are. Join me again next week as we discuss another life-altering event. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for tuning into Life Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life changing week. The Good Cop.